because they were going through it too. And I felt like I had to shield them from my own um, feelings. But ultimately, that, that wasn't the right thing to do. Hello, I am Joel Ingram, and this is Crisis to Crushing It podcast. Let's dive into this week's talk, and I'll help to increase perspective, expand perception, and allow you to change your reality. Enjoy the show. Okay, so today on the show, I have Jack Hughes, who is a former leading seaman who left the Royal Navy in January 2015, successfully transitioned back into civilian life. He now works with teams and individuals to help them become more autonomous, empowered, and productive, harnessing the agile mindset. By utilizing and building upon the tools, techniques, and experiences from the military and corporate world, Jack is able to tailor his approach to suit the needs of clients quickly and efficiently. Jack naturally prefers people over technology, using doing rather than planning for what has to be done, and has more faith in values than documentation, and always starts from a place of trust. Helping those currently leaving the armed forces is something he is passionate about, and this has culminated in a book and a podcast. Both have the aim of helping people realize their own potential, providing as much value as possible. Jack, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, mate. How are you? I'm good, mate. I'm good. It's, uh, I'm excited to have you on. And uh, my first question is, so tell us, Jack, what's going on in the world right now? So much like yourself and, and everyone else, really, just trying to adapt to these new, um, unique times we're in. For me personally, it's trying to adapt the business from being on site with clients, um, delivering training, coaching, consultancy to move into a more online model. And to be honest, it's been it's been a, a breath of fresh air trying to implement that. And it's been quite quite challenging. But from what I've seen so far, you know, it, it can work. You just need the right tools and the right connection at times um, to for that to happen. But it's just about keeping the wheels turning. Obviously, bills still need to be paid. But I'm in a fortunate position where I run my own business, so things could be a lot worse. And it's been been a time to reflect on on that perspective that things could be a lot worse as well. But there's no getting away from the fact that, yeah, things aren't normal, whatever normal is. So you said a breath of fresh, a breath of fresh air then. Is that... For the excitement of change or just the ability to change in how you do things? Both, really. It's given me the, the space to be a bit more creative. Um, it's given me, you know, I, I didn't have a solid place to work in the house for a long time, but now I've got a, like a proper setup and I can record, you know, more creative videos to, to distribute content in, in a different way. I've had to use things like Google Classroom for the first time, um, Google Jamboard, you know, a, a, a tool called Snagit, which means I can record train and then upload it. Um, Google Hangouts, which I use for, you know, the conference inside. Um, you know, it's just as good as Zoom, but I just use the Google one. So just really been honing in, trying to work remotely because we say we, we, we want teams and individuals to work remotely, but We've actually been um, put in a situation where we've had to adapt, which has been quite quite good, really. Yeah, I think everybody's finding their, their way in this new uh, technolo- technological age. I'm strong with my speaking today. Okay, that's cool. So, can we delve a little bit into um, what's an agile mindset or what is agile? Yeah, yeah, of course. So, 
you check out Jal in front of anything at the moment and it's like the, the new thing. But it predominantly came from software development. There was a group of individuals who came up with the Agile Manifesto, which was four or is, sorry, four values and 12 principles because they became frustrated that they were failing to deliver IT projects um, that delivered value to the end consumer. Because often, traditionally, you would um, assume a load of requirements up front and then separate teams would deliver something maybe 12 to 18 months down the line and they would do a big bank release but sometimes people didn't even like the product because they'd assumed a load of stuff up front so the values are things like individuals interactions over processes and tools working software over writing loads of documentation actually working with the customer a bit more and responding to change over following a plan um, so that's where the agile manifesto came from and now I work with frameworks like Scrum, um, things like Kanban to try and foster that all-in-one collaboration so we can deliver value early and often to the end consumer um, so we can get that initial feedback to ensure we're all there building the right thing because uh, we don't want to assume what people want. We need to involve the customer as early as possible. And it's about thinking differently. Um, I try and stay away from like the growth mindset and the fixed mindset because I don't think it's as black and white as that. Personally, I don't use that slide because just because someone likes to come to work and do their own thing, do I think they've got a fixed mindset? I'm, I'm not quite sure. And we've all got a gray in the middle where we've just had a bad day. We don't automatically have a fixed mindset. You know, so I, yeah, it's more of a, an agile mindset opposed to putting people in boxes of you've got a growth and I've got a fixed mindset. Yeah, I, yeah, I know we can, we, we can all flex in and out of those things. Uh, and I think that's our interpretation of, of our worlds and how we manage our way through it. I read something the other day that was talking about binary thinking and um, the, the, the fella wrote a book um, called Oversubscribe. And have you heard of that binary thinking? Uh, Dan Priestley, is it? Oversubscribe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I've never heard of that binary thinking, but it just sort of made me, which, is, which touches on like the fixed mindset, things being very black and white, um, like there's a linear path yeah. to, to success rather than, you know, maybe a truer reflection, which is it's a little bit of everything. It's a little, uh, it's not a little bit, it's very messy. There's a ton of learning and feeling forward. Yeah, it's that old iceberg thing, isn't it, that everyone shares on LinkedIn? Like you see the, the success and then it, everything underneath the water is all the, all the stuff you have to go through. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So in, in your bio, I'm, I was a little bit intrigued. Uh, you mentioned um, the tools, techniques and experiences from the military and corporate world. Uh, what's the tools and techniques you've been able to uh, utilise from your military days? So I think it, it's all about building teams quickly in terms of we're, we're a, we're a self-contained group of people and if you imagine living on a warship you, you know there's only so many um people that can be on there so you, you have a small tight-knit unit of people that are t-shaped and what i mean by that is they have their deep expertise in one area but they have a broad understanding of many things much like a, a capital t so Everyone is trained to, to be a firefighter. Everyone is trained 
or most people are trained on weapons. Everyone's a first aider. So anyone can dip in and out of their, think that their own discipline and help someone out if they need it. And I think being in that environment helps um, build small teams quite quickly because you know, you probably heard of the, the Tuckman forming, storming, norming, performing. You know how to get through each of those um, stages quite quickly because the same sort of patterns occur. You know during the forming stage that people are going to be a bit awkward, eyeing each other up, um, ascertaining who the, the, the extroverts are who the quieter people are and you you know the signs of and you know the situations to put people in to bring out the, the best in themselves really so it's it's packaging that up and keeping the military aspect in a way but understanding that the corporate world is very different and adapting you know those, those tools and techniques into an it or a corporate environment I can appreciate that must be extremely, having not, I just recently transitioned over to an office environment, which for this purpose we'll call corporate. Um, yeah. What do you, from what I've seen in like the year I've been there and the 20 plus years I've had on the shop floor, is the, the, the lower levels, as in the shop floor, seem to be, like the, the people that are doing, seem to be, have that, that more, uh, flexibility like you just mentioned being able to you know everyone can you know shoot the gun first aid they look to implement that on a on a on a doing level but then as you come up the scale there seems to be a distance in between that flexibility doesn't seem to be there i mean they strive for it yeah. so have you seen that is that your experience yeah I think it goes back to that whole like old Taylorism way of managing. So that, that very hierarchical command and control, you will do this task and this is how you will do it because we don't trust you to, to carry it out in any other way. And if you've been in that environment or in that mindset for a number of years, then it's going to be hard to, to shift and you're going to question why. Um, and ultimately, if the, the leaders and management aren't bought in to being more like it's very easy to say your team needs to be more flexible more agile reduce waste that's very easy to say but unless leadership and management are bought into educating themselves of um learning about the outcomes they're asking for bottom-up change is great and i believe in it but it'll, it'll hit a glass ceiling if those yeah. above are not on board as well and i think um there's a there's a lack of self education because they think sometimes not everyone it's just going to happen and in large organizations you know i've been in a few where the the, the narrative on the ground doesn't reflect so every year a big organization will have a yearly report and the ceo will say these are the numbers this is what we've done and they rarely and i can see why tell a negative story or the truth so and everything is normal. We're okay. We're okay. But then we've got a group of people like me who are saying, well, you've asked me to come and change the culture, so on and so forth. But then you're telling everyone everything's okay. So they're going to question that change. So I think there's a lack of transparency and a lack of self-education in regards to the outcomes they're asking for. I was very long-winded. No, that's a good answer. And I think you nailed it. It's, uh, and that's something when I was in, on the shop floor is what, to 
irritate the most was a, a lack of transparency. I mean, appreciating that people are on the tools don't always need to know what the higher ups are doing, but there needs to be yeah. a degree of transparency where actually, if if we're seeing stuff going wrong, we need you to acknowledge it and push it up the tree. <laughs> and that, and that's why that whole sort of um, lean stuff came from, really, like the production line um, of the. the, the famous Toyota production line where anyone in the plant could pull a cord and the, the assembly line would stop and management wouldn't let that assembly line carry on until the problem had been solved and everyone was involved in that because they believed in that continuous improvement culture. But I think as much as the workplace is obviously evolving and this, these times are reflecting that, it'll be interesting to see how everyone behaves when things go back to you know, normal and in inverted commas. Yeah. Will will there still be a pressure to be in the office five days a week, or will people let go of the reins a bit? I think we're in for a shakeup. I do. I think this is the ability to see how organisations can function, minimum structure, um, and who actually is able to work from home, and who actually is needed. So yeah, yeah. Um, and at the end of the day, businesses live to make money. You know, so it's just uh, there's people involved, and, and that's what gets a little bit difficult. Okay, so something else you said was um, you prefer doing rather than planning for what has to be done. Uh, yeah. Can you explain it a bit more? Yeah, so I think if I, if I think back to stuff that I have done, I think there's, there's obviously. Um, planning needs to be done but planning too far ahead can sometimes be wasteful and i've always been i've always been a person who would rather start doing something than keep putting it off because you find out what self-development or what work you need to do ultimately by doing the work um and i've never been one if i, if I want to try something i won't ponder too much about what other people think or um you know, if it fails again in inverted commas, or I've just—I don't know—it hasn't always worked. Like you know, I, I do have a tendency to have a helicopter view of the world, and I, and sometimes the small details do matter, and they can catch you out and come back to haunt you. But ultimately, on, on like a a big scale or a macro scale, if you do it and it goes wrong, at least you haven't put loads of time into planning it for it then to go wrong you know the answer straight away or you know how to adapt it um you know not as far down the line that sounds a little bit like the google design sprint you know that one yeah 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 so yeah i'm reading that book at the moment or i've been reading it and we i facilitate you know design sprints the five day um rapid prototyping of stuff but even when it you know when it comes to the podcast you know people overcomplicate it because if you know download anchor record something on your phone and put it out there <laughs> like you, you you can the, the quality will the quality will get better if people people enjoy it there's no point buying hundreds and hundreds of pounds worth of kit and you are shocking in front of the microphone or you can't get a guest or you, you know you just just do it keep it at that um the minimal viable product i suppose to keep up and we, then build we, on top of that yeah we so often get in our own way 
procrastination, overthinking. And there's a fantastic book. Um, by, I don't know if you've read this one, uh, The War of Art. Pressfield. I haven't read that, no. So that is a brilliant book for uh, understanding um, how we actually get in our own way and this invisible force that shows up in our life. Uh, when we have an idea that sort of shows up and then st- stops us from action. And uh, yeah, it's because yeah. it, you know, it, it, I've seen it show up in my own life so many times when I've had an idea, and it, it doesn't ever get off the ground because I've already started thinking about it three, six months down the line and why well, it's not a good idea, you know. Yeah, so recommend that book anyway, Stephen Pressfield, uh, War of Art. Okay. Yeah, I'll um, note. I'll note that. I've got an Amazon <laughs> voucher to. I've got. Sorry, I've got a Waterstones voucher to use. So I'll, uh, I'll look into that. You a physical book man, you? Yeah, trying. I, I'm trying to be a bit more um, digital, but I think because I spend so much time on the phone anyway, the thought of cracking out the iPad to read something is. Um, and I just like the physical holding of a book and collecting them. I suppose. Um, yeah. What. Well, yeah, you you the same. Exactly the same. Like my daughter, she's 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 got into books recently, and she's had like five or six books last week. Something she loves. She's doing it all off her phone, and the thought of that just like cracks me. I like the feel of it. Like you yeah, said, I like to yeah. feel it in my hand, and you know, just like slowly work your way through. And and I find I can. I don't know if it's a, a belief or whatever, but I feel like I retain more from doing that because when it's on a computer, it can feel like it's yeah. Quick. And the same with audio books. So it's it's weird really because I don't mind easy listens like an autobiography or you know a story on an audio book. But if it's something like that Google Design Sprint book you mentioned, if that was on audio or mm. Audible, because you because I want to highlight stuff, you're constantly having to I'm constantly having to get my phone out anyway to write notes. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Again, podcasts. They're, they're easy listening, aren't they? But actual books with information that I want to retain, I'd rather have a physical copy to, to refer back to. And, yeah. I'm exactly the same. Exactly the same. Okay, something else you mentioned as well, um, and something I feel very strongly about, is that you said you have more faith in values and documentation. How did um, you get exposed to values? Uh, the Navy, they, you know, they've got a, um, a distinct set of values don't ask me to reel them off but um but even you know the, the, the values on a ship the values in a mess the values of your you know your your trade that they've always been um along along the lines of you know um cheerfulness discipline um perspective so on and so forth so i think that it just sort of because i joined at 17 i think it would be impossible but for it to, you know, to, to, to sink in. And I think if you can start, if you can give people the values and the principles to work off, they will more often than not figure out their own way to do stuff. Um, and obviously, you know, in the corporate world, you do need some sort of documentation, but you don't need to write it all up front because again, who's going to read it? And what value is it bringing to the end, to the end consumer who, you know, are you just doing it to cover cover your own back, which is fine, but just be honest about that. And can we can we, you know, filter out some of that potential waste? Okay. 
Um, that's cool. So, okay, let's let's go back in time a little bit now, Jack, to um, maybe a time in school. Yeah. Uh, what stories come to mind for you? Yeah. When I think back to school, probably being, you know, that no, I wasn't like I grew up in North Wales, so you know, not not a massively populated area, but like the grey, not not naughty in school, but not overly clever either. So, so the one that probably the teachers didn't overly worry about, but weren't overly pushing either. Um, so just, and I knew from quite a young age that I wanted to join the navy anyway. So I sort of had that that in mind. So I knew what I had to do to achieve that. Um, so it was 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 quite good at running, but again, no one pushed me. My mum and dad were supportive, but I probably could have done with a bit more. You are going tonight. I don't care if you don't want to go, and you know a bit more. Um, yeah, a bit more carrot and stick. I think I was very much, and this is a positive. It's not not a negative. I was very much very autonomous in how I did stuff. I lived with my dad from like the age of 13. Still got a great relationship with my, my mother, but you know, they, they went their separate ways. So I think he, he was probably a bit lost. He was in a new environment. He had a teenage kid to look after. He was trying to learn how to, we were trying to muddle through it together, I suppose is the best way to describe it. Um, but yeah, not very confident in school, you know, being one, being a person with ginger hair, that is always going to have its uh, have its uh, barriers, you know. Very tall, very very skinny and lanky. I've been six foot one or six foot since I was probably fourteen, fifteen, and built like a racing snake. So that that doesn't you know that doesn't um, instill that much confidence. And I only recently, well, I say recently, four years ago now, found out I had celiac celiac disease yeah so every time someone used to meet me it was you know oh you could do with a, a couple of pies in yeah or you don't look very well but you know me and my wife were discussing it the other night it probably i probably did look ill because i didn't get diagnosed with it until i was 26 and what celiac does is it prevents the the nutrients from food getting into your body because it sees gluten as the enemy so up until you know my mid-20s i probably wasn't getting everything out of food that i needed to and it's only in the last four years that i've got up to my sort of walking walking around weight so i probably did look ill so again yeah back when i was 15 16 in school i probably didn't wasn't as confident as i, as I am now do you think um i mean that must have been traumatic for your parents to split um and then Obviously, then you so you go in and be your father. That's a difficult age to be navigating that sort of situation. How how did how did you manage, or what did you personally manage with that? I think looking back, you know, you're you're very um, what's the word? You can be influenced very easily when you're when you're old, and you take what other people in the family say for truth. And it, you you know at that age it's very hard to filter, you know one side was saying one thing, another side was saying the other thing, and you sort of it's not until you you grow up a bit that you think well they, they couldn't have all been true, all of these things that they were saying couldn't have all been right. So I think that was that was quite hard to to filter out because I had 
two sides of the, you know the family saying negative things about each person mm. um so i think that yeah i don't think it's a lesson learned because i don't think you can learn that lesson you know until you've reflected on it and you've you've matured a bit and you've actually had those conversations with with you know your mum and dad or whoever as you've got older um and you just realize that people were just talking nonsense like, as well yeah yeah but it's quite yeah. hard not to be hard on yourself with that and you have to remember that i was i was only a kid and i shouldn't i shouldn't have known that stuff either probably oh absolutely and that's what i was going with this was sometimes in those moments where this is big change and it's you know it's, like you said it's different sides putting each other down we can make that mean something to us and very often with clients is, is being able to go back to that point of change to understand, hang on a minute, you were a child. So from your adult perspective, like you just, you, you started this conversation with looking back, that's from, with, a, with an adult mindset, looking back on the child, you were able to show yourself more compassion and understanding. Yeah. Uh, and very often people get stuck uh, and, then, and they keep repeating these cycles because they've, they've never actually given that compassion to their younger self. So they then bring it through into their yeah. life, forward into their life. So, I mean, and, and, and another key word you said yeah. then was, re was reflection. It's, it, it's, 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 I wouldn't say it's a lost art. I think it's coming back, but it's very powerful. So, yeah, and I think you have to, you know, carry on. I think, um, no, I was just thinking then, um, you know, I probably have certain opinions of, either my mum or my dad that um yeah i i could feel guilty about now but you know nothing you can do about it like they, they understand we've all got a great relationship um and it was what it was it was a it was a crap time but i can't really i can't really remember it that much which shows that it obviously wasn't that bad mm. um you know i, I still was still in a loving home and had two two parents that loved me and ultimately They've supported me through through everything, and you know they're, they're still around. So, so nothing too. It could have been worse. And, and you know, that's, you, you, you keep saying that, and you're you're so right. And I think that perspective is is one that puts you in a in a completely different frame of mind. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you can come across as dismissive at times, though. I think I've been caught out for that with that before. Yeah, I think it's depending on the years it's falling on. Yeah. Okay, so you also mentioned, I mean, on the form I asked you, when you mentioned, like you've already said, lack of confidence, and you said unfulfilled potential. So would you say the lack of confidence was down to your the physical appearance or was it or something else? Uh, both, yeah, both really. And just not being, um, you know, like I would, if I was called out in class, I would just go like red, like proper beetroot red. Um, I can relate. And yeah, it, it, I think it just, and as soon as like one, someone in the, you know, someone in that class points it out, then it, 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 you know, there's no going back from there. Um, and I just think, yeah, I wasn't pushed that much out of my comfort zone. Like I said, I was very, my mum and dad were very laid back about things. They let me try everything, which is good, but they never really 
pushed me to to stick at one thing. It's only running really that I stuck out through my own want. But again, I probably could have done a lot more um, in terms of pushing pushing that on. Because I was never going to be the best by na- by being you know natural talent. Mm. I probably could have got a bit further with hard work. Do you have children, Jack? No, no, just me, my wife, the dog, and the cat. So that's something me and the wife often discuss: is um, uh, how hard is you know how hard you push? Do you, you know, how, how rigid are you uh, with the, as a parent? But it's it's, it's a funny because I can look back on my own and, and relate hundred percent to what you just said, down to the going red in class, you know, completely not confident, and then not being pushed. Um, but as a parent, it, it, it can sometimes be a tricky one to navigate because it's only on reflection you realise you wish yeah. you would. <laughs> I mean, if I was no, to I push imagine, yeah. my eldest son to do something, if it's not in his nature or in his interest to do so, it, it's not, not obviously going to be hard work, but it's, it's then going to create like a tension and a animosity between us, you know? What we've sort of done is allowed them to explore like you much like your parents did explore different things um and the other day he um off his own back he asked for his guitar and he just started playing it and i think he's made more progress in the last two days than he did from three or four months of guitar practice with you know a coach it's just yeah him pursuing his own what he's driven enough to pursue and it's a tricky one because i know what you're saying i wish my father had pushed me a little bit more on my golf but at that stage, I wasn't ready to be pushed. Do you know what I mean? I, I don't think I would have enjoyed it. And, I, and I've seen children be pushed. Like there was, when I was younger, there was one person in particular, he's, he's off, like a scratch golfer, professional. And his father was constantly pushing him and he, he ended up hating it. So it's a, it's a difficult road to navigate that one. And uh, one I constantly struggle with. <laughs> No, I can imagine, and I, you know what? You're probably right. I, I probably would have hated it at the time, but well, I wouldn't have wanted them to be like one of those, one of those tiger parents at the side, like giving me yeah. absolute grief when when yeah. I was running around the track. But a a you know you, you should you should probably you know let's let's do um, let's do a couple of press ups together, or shall I ride my bike and you go for a run? A bit more of that, I probably would have. Well, you, you don't know, dear. It's, it's pointless. Um, I know what you mean. It's, uh, it's, that's well, good reflection for me, mate, actually. Because we constantly looking at our time and we, we utilising our time to the maximum with our children. And what we've found is the best is blending things that we do. So, like, training is one of them for me and the wife. Uh, writing our journals and stuff like that. And we try and incorporate that into, like, family time and uh, training with the children. So, you're right. If we can blend activities so that they're happy, we're curious, it's sort of a good place to be, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Definitely. I mean, but then this has all led you to a place where you are now where, I mean, one of the things you mentioned was unfulfilled potential. So how do you, how have you gone about since understanding your own true potential? So I think I, I, think I just, yeah, I joined the Navy and I think I always have it in me, like whatever, you know, it is. But in terms of being good with people, I just needed to be pushed into that uncomfortable environment. And when you're 17 and you're, you know, you're naked in the shower with 
18 other blokes, you, you, you soon become quite comfortable with yourself. Um, I think I've always been like quite a quiet leader, but a person that people sort of um, navigated to, but I was just like, you know, yeah, quiet, like a team captain or a quiet leader. I didn't need to be the front and centre of attention. Mm. And then that just carried on throughout, really. And then I got promoted to, uh, yeah, quite young in the Navy. I got, I got selected for promotion at like 21, 20, just shy of my 21st birthday, to the equivalent of a corporal in the Army, which is a, a leading seaman in the Navy. Um, and then just went on from there, really. And I think as I, as I went through, you know, joining my first ship, that was a big leap but again you you gain confidence because you're being put in that uncomfortable surrounding and then going to sea going on the going on a couple of deployments um you know doing some operational stuff getting promoted going through your promotion course i actually failed the leadership aspect of it the first time around so you do your job training so you you can you go on and do your job but then there's like a a three-week leadership course now, for me, although it was a, you know, disappointing at the time, that was probably the best thing that happened to me because I wasn't prepared for it. Because so I finished the job training on the Friday, went home to North Wales, straight into the leadership course on the Monday. And it just, I didn't do anything fundamentally wrong, just a few sort of small mistakes, but they, you know, there's no room for that in that training environment. So then that made me, um, I went and got deployed somewhere else and then went back and did it again and you know smashed it i think i failed most tests the first time around in my life but i think i'm just not not a testy sort of person i've always gone back and passed them but it takes me a while to to sort of acclimatize to to the surroundings so i know what what's expected if that makes sense it's uh it's not everyone's 40. i know it wasn't mine (laughs) yeah and then from then on yeah, again, just not not really, just doing stuff really. So left the navy, started, you know, went into the corporate world, started everyday agile. Just uh, just keep pushing, really. I don't think I've got one. You know, when people go on about like, what's your why and all that. Yeah. I don't think I've got one. I think I've just got tens of little ones that that formulate throughout. I don't think you necessarily need one. A lot of people like are on the the Simon Sinek train, but I haven't bought that ticket yet. I've read the book. It's um, I don't know. It seems for me, it seems to overlap. Uh, why and purpose, uh, and if your purpose is to put food on the table and keep a house over your head, that's 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 fitting. Um, so what? When just now you mentioned then you know, when you started every day, I don't know what what did that look like for you. What, what does, you know, how did you just, because you didn't just do it. How did that no, no. Out? So I started writing content on LinkedIn. Um, that's properly, probably the back end of 2016, beginning of 2017. Then I worked for a few few companies as a, as a role in like the agile world called a scrum master, like a facilitator, cro- uh, coach, mentor within the scrum sort of framework. Um, which is used to, to build complex products opposed to the building those requirements up front and then delivering them at the, at the end. So, um, yeah, and, and, and in the last place I worked, the, the sort of 
straw that broke the camel's back was I wanted to do a course and they were like, we'll send you on it. But if you leave the company within a year, you have to pay it back. And I was like, right, you've just paid two grand for a, for a coffee machine in the, in the, you know, in the staff area. So you put in that over, you know, people's progress. Um, I didn't say it quite like that, but that's what I was thinking. And I just thought, you know what, if I want full control of my own development, the only way to get that is to, to do it on my own. Um, and that was, uh, that was the sort of push, push I needed to, to become, you know, the stepping stone was to become a contractor, like a day rate contractor through everyday agile. But then since then it's grown into me conducting my own training, working with different companies and clients, one-to-one coaching. Um, um, and then another part of the business focuses on, I don't do this but like diversity and culture in the workplace. So understanding that, especially in IT, you've got so many cultures, you know, people come from India, people come from all around the world and we expect them to fit into our culture, like stuff like Christmas. And we don't even understand, you know, what, why, for example, a Muslim man might not shake a woman's hand, not because they're being disrespectful, just because it's not part of their, you know, religion and culture. So it's understanding, understanding the importance of that in the workplace. And it's just all, um, yeah, packaged into to what we're trying to do now. What's your take on that? Because, um, see, within the role I, I, I work, there's, um, we see many different cultures um, mm. coming back and forth. And there's, I don't know, from what I can see, there's a fine balance between being respectful of theirs and then being respectful of your culture too. Yeah, some some cultures are less tolerant of others. Yeah, and I think it, this this isn't just a conversation for you know you know British people. It's getting everyone in the room and saying these are the again. I, I don't really deal with it. My wife like runs like that's her background, so I don't want to. I don't like um, talking about stuff I don't fully understand. But it's about essentially getting everyone in the room and saying these are. This is the, the the melting pot of cultures we've got. Let's you know, let's be aware of it. And then there's no excuse to say, "Well, I didn't know." I suppose. And what? And I suppose why not celebrate certain um, festivals or celebrations when we, most of us, are not Christian, but we still expect to have Christmas Day off. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like, why not? embody all of them instead of just what we've grown up with yeah yeah we've got a, a, a colleague in the office that's uh going he's gone now ramadan um mm. but, he, but he wasn't allowed to eat uh during daylight hours i believe yeah, yeah. east in the night well, i'd never heard of this one before but i thought okay i'm up for a little bit of a bit of a challenge but then obviously corona kicked in so i'm not, I'm not sure <laughs> i'm not sure what happens <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but that, that's the point. Like, that's you know what what would be wrong with you know a group of people just going through it with them for a few days, and, and I'm sure that would motivate them no end, and you know create a the positive environment everyone seems to want to work in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, uh, recalling how you were when you were younger. Uh, one of the questions I asked you was, "What lessons do you think took you longest to learn?" I think not not taking everything that people say for, for truth. 
in terms of you know when I was when you're younger you have a lot of voices in your head a lot of influences um yeah maybe they're not all coming from a good place that's probably the lesson that it took me the longest to to learn and then cutting out that any negativity and just getting rid of it which sounds quite brutal <laughs> no it sounds like uh sounds like you're focusing on what you need to do yeah yeah absolutely okay i do yeah, i believe that you are the sum of the like the what is it the average of the five people you spend time with oh yeah and i think if you spend time with five i'm not going to swear but five uh, idiots then you're probably going to be Idiot. in that same frame <laughs> yeah that's a classic quote by jim Rohn. yeah uh, and so true i mean i've seen you in so many different aspects of my life and people i connect with you know uh, in fact a lot of the people i connect with on the podcast uh, most of these people are extremely far away from where i live um the other thing is my general environment people that I, I grew up with and not in and not into this you know they're not into the connection with others to the degree that I am they're not yeah. willing to push themselves to grow they're, they're happy where they are and that's fine because everybody's got their own place that they want to be but when things come along in your life I mean I don't know how old you are Jack but I'm 44 in a few days the, I was 30 yesterday oh happy birthday mate Nah, <laughs> uh, yeah, so what comes along sooner or later is this 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 realization, shit man, time's running out. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um and for me I was like I hit forty and I was like, I'm halfway through. I've done nothing. And that was a time of great change for me. And it showed up in all sorts of different forms, dark as well. But uh yeah, I mean, but at least you're on the you're in a position with the mindset at the moment where you know you're pursuing your curiosities is turning into endeavors and, and and the potential for successful businesses which is what you're currently working on so hopefully that's the plan i think you just gotta yeah moving forward keep keep riding the wave for as long as my uh my creativity will let me i suppose well that doesn't mean to say you know if i had to deliver pizzas and there's no disrespect to anyone who does that I, you know, I, I'm still in the mindset and I always will be of, like you said before, you still got to put food on the table and I would do anything in my power to do that. I've just been, yeah, is it fortunate? Yeah, I've, I've been fortunate to put myself in a position where I can carry on to, to do, you know, to have that freedom to build it. Yeah, because uh, a lot of people like, get to a certain point and they and they look around and they think oh the bloody hell did i get it well yeah yeah you know there's no and, and this is me this is me this is me. <laughs> this this is my life uh how did i get here um i got three kids mortgage a job that i wasn't enjoying how can you get to that age with having those thoughts of oh i'm gonna do this then i'm gonna do this you know no yeah it's just it baffles me it really does and I'm asking everyone that comes on. How, you know, at what point did you start to lay, or what do you feel when when you started to lay like goals for the future? When when that showed up for you, what was what was it, what was going on at that time? What's what's the what's the think, point? Yeah, I think the only thing I can really remember is again being in the navy. I was on a, on a ship. 
And I, I didn't like the fact that just because someone had potentially got a couple of A-levels or, or some nonsense degree, that they could be an officer. So there's, there's officers, commissioned officers, and then there's the ratings So that in, in the hierarchy. So officers go to a different training. They are seen as like, you know, the, the um, I don't want to say upper class, but you, you know what I mean, right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and I didn't like the fact that some body, and it was more of my own sort of um, yeah, perspective, I suppose, so someone said something. So I was like just polishing some, some stairs or cleaning some stairs because obviously you have to clean the ship. More than happy to do that. But then one officer told a junior officer to tell to make sure I was cleaning the stairs properly. And I overheard them. And I was like, I've been in the Navy by this point, like six years. You know, I've, I'm at the rank that I am. I know how to bloody clean the stairs. I don't need two people to come and filter that information to do so. And I was like, nah, if I carry on in the, you know, in the Navy, although I loved it, there was potential for me to probably just get into trouble because I didn't respect the people who had given me the orders enough to carry them out. I would have carried them out, of course I would, but I, yeah, it was a, I felt that just because you had certain, you know, ed- educational credits to your name didn't mean you were a good leader. No, so true, so true. Because I find what can uh, build up then is uh, resentment and animosity. Yeah, massive. I think I think that would have. I left the navy on my terms. If I would have stayed longer, I could have potentially become bitter, and resented my time. Where I look back with massively fond memories. So this is something I can hundred percent relate to. Um, is if you imagine uh, uh, engineers on a sh- on the shop floor, that, you know, twenty plus years experience, and then they've got someone. Like you just said, let's come out of uh, university with a HND or a BA, or yeah, and then they they in effect leading them manage, you know, man management, and and then they present. What what what's, when when you've gone into companies and seen this, how do you navigate that? Do you try and sow any seeds of you know, sow any seeds on them or? I think this is where the whole agile thing comes into its own because it sort of strips away or tries to strip away as much hierarchy as possible because the people conducting the work are there for a reason. They are they're the ones with the skills and abilities to deliver it. Management and leadership should be there to help them out. If there's no point trying to have... no, So there's this term like agile transformation helping, um, not my term, just a term, helping like older organizations become more modern, I suppose. But there's no point doing that unless the work of the people, the work lives of the people actually doing the work becomes easier. And I think management and leadership need to facilitate that rather than feel like they need to be in control of it because you can't control a complex environment and you're never going to know everything can nor should you because in those gaps is where the, the most creative things come from absolutely oh, this, you've got me curious about this agile thing i'm gonna check this out myself <laughs> <laughs> okay so let's um, let's fast forward a few years 
to a time of great change. So say less. I know I've listened to your podcast and you talked yeah. to about leaving the Navy. What sort of emotions were going on for you then? So again, this is where I got caught out when I think about, you know, planning and doing. Um, my plan was to stay in until I was 30 or ish, because then you get your half pension. But I, you know, through what the story I just said, I sort of started to think, oh, I want to want to change. First thought was to go into maritime security. I was a gunner in the Navy. You know, obviously, in my mind at the time, you just transfer that onto civvy ships. I'm going to earn £300 a day just walking around with a weapon, doing anti-piracy. That was my sort of thinking. Didn't really warm um, my now wife, girlfriend at the time, up to that idea. I was away and sort of just did it, phoned her up and said, you know, look, I put my notice in, there's 12 months to go. Um, and then it became apparent really quickly that moving into maritime security wasn't going to happen. It was too expensive to, it wasn't a case of transferring your military qualifications into civilian world. Hence why I went into the corporate environment, which I, you know, massively appreciate and don't regret. But it involved, um, like two months like training like, and qualifications and I was stuck on my own so the feelings that that came up were you know loneliness a couple of, so I left my last run ashore or my last visit was in South America um, sorry South Africa in Cape Town so I left the ship in Cape Town after like nine days of being with the lads being in the mess going out went skydiving you know Cape Town's amazing and then boom, straight back into this sort of bed sit on my own, talking this corporate environment, this corporate language that I didn't understand. Um, so yeah, very much lost. And I probably didn't show my um, best self during that time. Um, I didn't go through any sort of mental health challenges to, to the extent that, you know, some people have, but I think it was definitely a, a lonely time and probably a time that I didn't see the light at the end of the tunnel for a period of, yeah, period of weeks. Looking back now, what do you think you would have done differently? Um, kept people, keep kept people close by in the loop a bit more because they were going through it too. And I felt like I had to shield them from my own um, feelings. But ultimately, that, that wasn't the right thing to do. You, oh, from, so I've had other military people on, and one of the, the overriding things that seems to come up is the difficulty that you have as a military person who has to do you know, things maybe that, well, things that we would never have to do as, on civil, as civilians. So, and, and what stops us acting is our emotions or uh, being able to process our emotions. You, you seem to have, from talking to the other people as well, it's a very difficult place between doing what you do to carry out your job and what you do with what comes up from it. Yeah, I, mean, yeah, I think, yeah, I think so luckily, like, I'm not going to sit here and say I, I didn't go to you know, the Afghanistans of the world the closest we got, but which is fair enough, is the, the Libya conflict. And that, that was like fully naval operation. You can't really get more frontline, 
for the Navy than that. But I, I would be, well, I'd be lying if I could sat, sat here and say I, I didn't did things that some of your other guests have done because that wouldn't be true. So I can't, I'm never going to be able to relate to some of those, you know, things they've been through. Um, but yeah, ultimately you, you, you are trained and um, conditioned to do a certain thing. And it, I think that is always in you, whether, whether you've been in, you know, a couple of years or, or 22 years. You think there's um like, for us to be whole as people, do you think is uh, something they could do to improve um, that aspect of the environment? In terms of leaving and stuff. Yeah, yeah but not because otherwise it's all pent up for when you leave. So like a way of managing it during the process. Of being yeah, there. I think that they're getting a lot better. There's, you know, there's some individuals who are doing some great work. Um, but it's it's difficult, isn't it? Because you only ever hear about the negatives, and yeah. you know, around fourteen thousand people leave the forces every year, mm. and the majority of them are fine. Like, you, <laughs> there's people who leave civvy jobs every week or every day, and you know, I'm very much of the mindset of, and not not many, well, not all people will agree with this, but if you're a person. In the army, the navy, the RAF, or any of them, that is, you know, a a writer. A lot, you know, you you do payroll. You've sat in an office, <clears throat> and you've done like an operational tour, which was fine, but you weren't really on the front line. You are just a an office worker, but in the forces. Should they be put on the same pedestal as someone who's done three tours of Afghanistan on the front line? I'm not sure, but. They all get put on. We we all get put on that that pedestal, rightly or wrongly. But I think the degree of support people need is different, dependent on their experience. But like I said, we all get put in the same pot when we leave. I suppose does that make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. It does. Yeah, it does. Okay. Um, I'm so... gonna get some. Uh, I'm gonna get some grief for that. I think, but it's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't go wrong with truth, Jack. That's what it is. Um, if life was to be happening for you, not to you, what lesson do you think you've been given? Uh, perspective, definitely, yeah. I think you can control what you can control and you have to let go of a lot of the rest because there's nothing you can do about it. But again, sometimes that comes across as dismissive when other people don't think like that. And I have to be careful with, just because it's not important to me doesn't mean it's not important to other people. Do you, is, um, so this is the, um, to me this smacks of like the internal locus of control, which I've only like learned about four years ago, um, with regards to being, uh, I don't know, have you touched on Jocko Willink? Yeah, and that's, yeah, the, again, the extreme ownership stuff, I don't know, I, I, I haven't read it, so I'm not going to comment too much on it, but. I think that in itself can create problems because not everything is in your control. You can't blame yourself for, for everything. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. His sort of premise is, you know, you're responsible for, for everything. And I don't necessarily think that is a healthy way of thinking all of the time. But I'm happy to be. Having not read it, only got the listened to a couple of his podcasts and read a few articles. 
more than happy to be corrected. No, no you're right in your assumption. Um, I, th- I think the way I've taken it is um, it's, it's a more empowering way. For me, it's helped me anyway, because uh, when I reached that point, I was not aware I had a choice. I was, all, all the words, bear in mind there's no military background in, in my life. Everything was, it's just not fair. Why can't we just get on? Yeah. Um, do you know what I mean? All those, so to me, I, I class them as like victim words because they're, they're putting the power outside of yourself. Yeah. Everything is everyone else's fault, which therefore means there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, and I, and I, I get that side of it, but there's something ultimately that I, me personally, would not be willing to take you know, responsibility for. Um, and I think if you start blaming, again, just my, my opinion, if you start blaming yourself for everything, if you haven't got that strength of mind, I suppose it be it could be quite. Um, you could end up drowning in that. Yeah, I can see one, that. One, one could end up drowning in that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you just touched on it then uh, about uh, focusing on what you can control and not thinking about the rest. And you said on the podcast uh, with your wife that uh, sort of got you, got you in a little bit of trouble as well. Uh, because you'd actually just decided to leave. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so I yeah, didn't really keep in the loop about leaving. Yeah, that's a good. That was a good one for you to listen to. Actually, not not a lot of not that story isn't isn't told often. You know, from the the spouse of the partner. No, it was, a, um, it was an interesting episode actually to get another perspective. So, uh... so yeah, so I didn't really keep her in the loop. Um, leaving the force is quite a selfish thing to do, really. Like you might think it's selfless at the time, or the person leaving will think it's selfless at the time. But that whole year, that, that that's all that consumes the, that individual sort of mind, and it's yeah, it's quite so, hard to see it from other people's point of view. Then I see uh, so it's, you could eventually end up in that position where, like you said, you're resentful, you're bitter. Um, so then it's a balance then between you know meeting. Your requirements uh, as a spouse of food and help contribute around the house versus yeah. being in a joy that's tearing you apart. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't think it. Yeah, the, the navy never sort of um, tore me apart like that. I was lucky. So, like, like I said, I left on on my own terms, and luckily, I've never been in that position since I've left. Only in that small period of time where. It was all very, very new and all very raw. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely should have kept her in the loop with how I was feeling and what I was planning along the way. Have you carried that forward? Yeah, yeah. I probably over-communicate now more than anything, to be honest. I don't think that's a bad thing, though, Jack. Well, no, no. You have to ask her that. But <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Uh, okay, let's uh, be respectful of your time. Uh Two more questions. Uh, tell yeah. me a story about something that has amazed you. Do you know what? I've struggled with this one. I don't know if I'm just like too too literal, but something that amazed me was, do you know what? It was the fact that people, when we got married, um, people from the Navy took time to come to North Wales to celebrate that with us. I'm not easily amazed, to be honest. But that, right. but that, but, but that meant a lot to to both of us, I think. I like it. 
that, that show that you've made proper friendships, not just uh, super, you know, friendships that had to be made. Yeah, yeah. I imagine when you're when when you're saying you're leaving, some people it can mean like when I made my transition, my transitioning meant something to other people that they made it mean. I wasn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Um, last question. So, looking into the future, what were the craziest and most exciting things you could be experiencing? I think it will just be con- to be hopefully build and continue to have uh, the freedom that we've we've got for the moment, and to to bring more people into the business, and to to be in a position where I can sort of leave it. I don't believe in passive income. I don't don't really believe that to be the case. But put it in a position where. Again, going back to that book, oversubscribed, where I can say no to stuff in order to to pursue other things, and you know, go go traveling and put a pause, knowing that I can continue once I once I get home. So just continuing to fulfill those hundreds of little whys I've got floating around my head that I mentioned before, really. Check us a few of them up then. Say again. I said check a few of them up. What's a few of these ways? Um, to, to to build a sustainable business, to um, buy one property, to be in a position to buy one rental a year, to um, continue to be fit and healthy, and I was supposed to run the Paris Marathon a couple of weeks ago, but obviously that that got that got pushed to October. I think it all revolves around having the freedom to do what do what I want, essentially. And that doesn't mean having loads of money. You know, freedom to me is having enough to just go to the cinema when we want. I'm not very materialistic. No, I feel um, that. But just to, just to yeah, have the freedom to be in control of our decisions or my decisions, I suppose. Powerful. Wow. Well, yeah. So that's, and that's the goal behind the goal, Bazanga. Okay? So that's awesome. Yeah. Okay, Jack, I want to thank you very much for you today, being so honest and open and sharing. Um, I wish you the greatest success with your business going forward. And uh, I want to thank you for exposing me to the Agile mindset. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me on. And if you uh, need anything, just let me know. I've listened to a few of the episodes, doing some you know, fantastic work. And uh, yeah, wish you all the best. Cheers, Jack. Cheers, mate. Thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it. My name is Joel Ingram, and I am a certified NLP coach. I help passionate, resourceful, and professional people who feel stuck and unfulfilled with aspects of life to rewrite their narrative and chronicle a new, engaging, and captivating future. Please subscribe if you found benefit.